Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey Titans fans, Tuesday the 24th, we're going to be doing a live mock draft on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be picking for every team with details on every pick as we try to find who the Titans should take with the 25th selection. Again, that's Tuesday the 24th, 7 p.m. Central Time, Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Horsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are here today to preview the edge rusher position in the 2018 NFL Draft, which is uh, just over, actually just under two weeks away. Uh, next week, we will be joined by analytics guru Jim Coburn. Uh, we'll spend a full episode with him. But then after that, leading up to the draft, um, we are going to do a live mock draft on Blog Talk Radio. Matias uh, or Will, y'all want to tell people how they can watch that? We don't actually have a link to it yet, but when when is that going to be? 7 p.m., I guess? Yeah, uh, sometime at night. <laughs> um, it, it's definitely going to be fun, we'll tell you that much. Uh, we've done live shows in the past, but we've never done something uh, something like this. Um, and we really haven't been putting out too many mock drafts um, on our respective websites, really. So uh, this is probably, I mean, I haven't done a mock draft, so this is going to be one of the only times this entire offseason that I actually do a mock draft. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, it, it may be the only time any of us on this podcast do something where we actually go through what other teams would do and think from mm-hmm. another perspective and yeah. really kind of get our boards out there. So for as much as much as I do uh, fan speak mocks and stuff like that, where I just pick for the Titans or I look at things that could happen with the Titans, this is the first time where I'll be actively making decisions that I think other teams should make. So, I mean, it'll it'll be a really cool way to kind of look at how we all view the draft and who we value more than others and stuff like that. So keep an eye out mm-hmm. on the uh, Titan sized Twitter page for a link to that, which will be coming soon. But again, that will be Tuesday, April the 24th, around 7 p.m. Central Time, thereabouts. We'll have more concrete information a little bit closer to the event. Um, let's dive head first in. Let's just go ahead and start talking about the edge rushers. Last week when we talked about linebackers, we started with Roquan Smith, who everybody kind of has as the consensus number one. So let's start with the consensus number one edge rusher, and that's uh, Bradley Chubb from NC State. Is he Miles Garrett? No. Is he Von Miller? No. I don't even think he's, you know, Khalil Mack. But what he is is someone who profiles as a guy who's probably going to easily be able to get, you know, 10, 11 sacks a year. A little uh, – I've heard comparisons to Chandler Jones. I think Brian Arakpo is also potentially a pretty good comparison for Chubb. Um just an overall clean prospect. I mean, not a lot to talk about. He does a little bit of everything, and he does it all pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not going to call anyone any prospect a safe prospect because those don't exist. Um, but this is about as close as you're going to get, really. Um, there's he's just he's good at every single thing. Every single thing. Like I've seen him even uh, get out and cover, and at his size to be able to do that is pretty really impressive. 
Uh, he has a wide array of pass rush moves. He can beat you with a bull rush. He, he can bend around the tackles. Um, uh, he also, in addition to all of all of these things that he's good at uh, in pass rushing and run defending, he has a relentless motor. Uh, he never stops, uh, never stops on any play um, throughout an entire game, and that's exactly what you want if you're investing a top five pick uh, in a player. The only real negative, I mean, if you're really trying to nitpick, um, he over pursues plays at times. Uh, but I mean, that's something you could correct at the next level, especially if he's not given as much uh, free reign as he was in college. Yeah, you know, I don't love doing player comps, but sometimes I think they're the best way to kind of get out what we want people to view a prospect as. Somebody I think that Chubb is really similar to is Derek Barnett, but more athletic. Um, Barnett was always good at being relentless and getting underneath the shoulder pads of uh, offensive tackles and tight ends and getting around the edge. Chubb can do all that, but he's got a little bit more in his arsenal and he's a little bit more athletic. Uh, I mean... Not every guy has to be a uh, you know scream off the edge, bend flat, that kind of thing. They can win in other ways, kind of like Joey Bosa does. Um, I don't think he's on that level, but he's probably just right underneath that. And Chandler Jones is, is a comparison you might hear a lot. Chandler Jones is probably the best edge player in the NFL in terms of what they do on an every-down basis. I mean – I don't think anybody's had more sacks than him over the last five years, uh, which is interesting. I don't think people talk about that a lot. It's either sacks or tackles for loss that he uh, holds that mark in. But he, it's they're both kind of the same guy. Um, and Chubb could have that kind of career where he never has the best pass rushing season and he never has the flashiest sacks. But you look up and – He's got 12 and a half sacks and, you know, eight more tackles for loss. And he's just chugging along and, you know, winning consistently. So, I, I mean, I absolutely think he's the best pass rusher and edge overall in this class. He reminds me a little mm-hmm. bit of, of Joey Bosa. Not I'm, not I'm not comparing him to Joey Bosa, like not that they're similar players, but in the sense that, you know, there's nothing Bradley Chubb does where you're like, whoa, like, you know, Miles Garrett, his athletic profile was off the charts. And when you look at someone like, even in this draft, a Harold Landry, who we'll talk about more in a minute, you see his his get off and his athleticism and his, his able ability to bend, and you're like, whoa, that's incredible. Or you look at some prospects, and they're good against the run, whatever. You know, Chubb is kind of a, a nothing really stands out, but he's good at everything. And, and Bosa was kind of the same way. Yeah, and Bosa got knocked uh, by some analysts ju- just for just for that reason that he wasn't particularly special at any one thing and he didn't dominate in any one area. Um, but that really hasn't mattered at the next level, has it? He's been a defensive uh, rookie of the year and he's gone over double digit sacks in each of his first two seasons. Um, and I definitely see Bradley Chubb having a similar type of impact early on. Yeah. I mean, one, one more thing before we move on, Chubb had a game versus Clemson where he was constantly dominant, and he was constantly mocking the other team, which was so fun to watch because it was a big game for North Carolina State. They were clearly, you know, shouldn't have been in the same building in terms of overall talent and depth and coaching and all that. You know, they, they've got some good pieces, but the top end of Clemson's roster will probably end up in the first round, whereas outside of Chubb, They'll, they'll be lucky to have a fourth-round pick after this. So, it, I mean, there was clearly a, a talent discrepancy, but the uh, 
the way that he would go and just beat offensive linemen and then I think he kept taking the towel from the quarterback and he would like like he was playing flag football after he sacked him he would just take the towel off and like keep it in his hands and hold it and the ref would make him give it back it's one of the most entertaining mm-hmm. games I've seen from a, an, an edge rusher this season um let's move on my number two edge rusher and I, I would assume you guys would agree with this is a uh, Harold Landry from Boston College. Um, when I, when I look at him, he just screams Vic Beasley to me. I, I love player comparisons, and I think he's a lot like Vic Beasley in terms of he's a smaller edge guy. He's got a lot of speed. It's probably going to take a year to get his feet under him, kind of like it did with Vic Beasley. But once he does get his feet under him, he's going to be a, a big time like screamer off the edge. You know, just that fast, bendy edge rusher, and really. You know, the ideal scenario for the Titans would be that he, he somehow falls to them at pick 25, but I don't know that that's going to happen. He is, though, exactly kind of what the Titans need, a just that, that speed rusher. Uh, yeah, I was hoping uh, at the combine that he would kind of bomb a little bit or just not, <laughs> not perform well, just so he could fall fall to that 25th pick, which a lot of mock drafts still have him going 25, um, but after his combine and after after these coaches meet with him and they actually um study him throughout his collegiate career um i'm not expecting him to be there um and because he's really good even though he only has that that one huge year of production um in 2016 this past season he was dealing with an ankle injury um and he still produced rather well it's not like he was he was non-existent out there um he was still making an impact uh he didn't have the big numbers like he did in 2016 but like i said he was hampered by an injury um and it was tough to replicate that 2016 season that was one of the best um pass rushing seasons we've seen in a while um so he's really good um He's good. At, he's kind of good at everything. He's really gap sound in run defense. Uh, very adept run de- run defender. Um, he's fantastic at bending around tackles on pass rushes, um, which is which is key key at the next level because uh, offensive tacklers are just so strong. You need to find ways to beat them uh, be- and uh, go around them. He uses his hands uh, pretty well. He could disengage better. Um, I'd like to see that worked on at the next level. Um, and his athletic testing was really good. So I I would love for him to be the pick at 25, but I'm really not expecting him to be there. Yeah, um, it, that's I, I agree with everything y'all said. Um, something that doesn't get talked about a lot is how in his good pass rush year, he did such a good job with that tomahawk where he would come around and knock the ball out of the quarterback's hands, and he, I mean, he was just very active. He had seven forced fumbles uh, in 2016, which led the nation by far. It, he had he had ten in his career, and that's good for something like tenth best uh, all time of any player, and it's number one in the ACC. I mean, he's just really an instinctual pass rusher who knows what to do and how to get around guys. He's got a lot of bend, which now th- that's that's the thing. Okay. So when he wins in the way that makes him dominant, he has to be able to bend really low, which puts a lot of stress on your ankles just as, in terms of how you have to run. So if the ankle injury is a long-term thing, which I don't think it is, then that's the concern that might push him down boards. But that's also why he didn't have an amazingly productive year this year is because, you know, think about a power rusher if they had a torn tricep. Like 
If you're somebody mm-hmm. who does one thing really, really well and you can't do that one thing, it makes it tough on you. But if you don't have any concern about Landry's long-term health or anything like that, then, I mean, there's no reason why he shouldn't be a top-ten pick. And there's a chance that he goes top-ten. I mean, there, there's no reason why a good pass rusher who can get sacks by the dozen shouldn't go top-ten if you're a team that has quarterback, offensive line, wide receiver, and corner kind of all figured out. You know, I would take him over Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds and those guys. I, I mean, I just think he's more impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you kind of noticed it last season um, that he was being hampered by that injury because he, he didn't look as fast as he did in the previous years, um, and he was getting beaten to the edge by quicker uh, quarterbacks and running backs. So uh, it definitely did affect him. Um, I th- I think he might go 14 to the to the Packers. I'm not sure he makes it past there, to be honest. The yeah, Packers four- need something. They need juice. Yeah, on defense. Yeah, they in Detroit, where his old defensive line coach goes. He he's not he's not. I mean, there's too many teams that need pass rushers as it is. But for some reason, you keep seeing a blink 14 to Green Bay, and like I said, Detroit uh, hired Boston College's defensive line coach to coach their defensive line. So, I mean. If they're not in love with anybody at twenty, which I think where they pick, then he's got to go there. Mm-hmm. Um. So after Chubb, or excuse me, after Landry is kind of when you get into more like up for debate players because I think everyone would agree that that Chubb and that Landry are are top notch prospects as far as the edge rush position is concerned. After that is where I would say it's probably more up for debate. And so let's start as we move into that phase with a player that I think all three of us really like, and that's Hercules Mata'afa. Will, you've kind of been the uh, the conductor of this train for a long time. And I have to say, you know, Mata'afa, apparently people say he has the best first step in the entire draft. But it is going to be a positional transition, moving from primarily inside to primarily outside. He, he's got the athleticism to do it, but it all comes down to his translation ability, which is one of the hardest things to predict in the NFL. Yeah, NFL teams are really scared of like the unknown and having to do any kind of creative work. They love to have a one-to-one, this is what he's going to do for my team, which you know, is is part of the reason why uh, Baker Mayfield isn't being talked about as one of the top guys is because, and which is a whole different thing. But if you can't project a guy directly into your system, it freaks guys out. I, I don't understand. It, it doesn't make any sense to me why he's not being talked about more. He has, uh, he had 22 and a half tackles for loss last year. There's a lot of guys you're going to hear about that are drafted ahead of him that don't have 22 tackles for loss in or uh, yeah 22 tackles for loss in their best two years. Uh, what he does is so impressive, and he did it playing a defensive tackle. So here's the argument you're getting: you're hearing that he's undersized to play defensive end, and yet he was productive getting double teams from centers and or from centers and guards and from guards and tackles at the collegiate level. But for some reason, when he's going one-on-one with tackles, he's not big enough now. It doesn't make any sense. And, I mean, he's not 200 pounds. He's 255 pounds, and he's 6'2 and a half. That's not small. 
He's not an old prospect. It's not like he just gets tackles for loss. He had ten and a half uh, sacks last year, which led the Pac-12. There's the only reason that he's not being talked about as a first-round pick is either there's something going on behind the scenes with his character, which I don't know about and I haven't heard because I'm not privy to that kind of stuff, or people just aren't creative enough to think about him like that. It it, it doesn't make any sense when you watch him on film. He's just so explosive. His hand use is great. Uh, he does the stuff that bigger guys are afraid to do sometimes, which means – like when there's a pulling guard, he's not afraid to take out the pulling guard and kind of set that edge and really screw the running back. Just like he's not afraid to go full up field, you know, which generally leaves you vulnerable to a pulling guard. And everything he does is good if he weighed 280 pounds or if he weighed 220 pounds. There's no reason, based on the film, that he shouldn't be one of the top guys. But like I said, at, for whatever reason, you're just not going to hear him talk. Well, the reason we're going to hear, um, and the reason uh, he's probably not going uh, very high in mock drafts right now, is because people fall in love with athletic testing, um, and he didn't test particularly well uh, at the Combine. In my opinion, I don't care when when I watch his tape. Um, he's a first-round talent, and I have no doubt about that. Um, I mean, you can look at whatever you want. You can even go to the production hit, 21 sacks, four. 45 and a half tackles for loss in three years playing as a defensive tackle at 250 pounds. I mean, that's just in the pack. 12 too. It's not like he was doing this at, uh, uh, in conference USA. Um, he can slip through blockers with ease. He's extremely quick off the line, uh, which I think would really help him on the edge. Um, and sometimes when he, when he was used on stunts in college, uh, you actually saw him get around to the edge and he was bending around blockers just like a normal edge pass rusher would. Um, and uh, I mean, you want to talk about uh, front multiplicity? He is literally front multiplicity personified. So I'd be shocked if um, if he's not considered heavily uh, by Mike Rabel, um, and especially because Rabel uh, coached. Uh, I'm not. I don't know if they're particularly similar, um, but Whitney Merciless um, is around the same the same frame um and he plays edge and he's all he's also been used on the line at defensive tackle and stuff like that so um i could de- i could definitely see Vrabel being enticed by mata um one, no, one go, last ahead. go ahead um, i just looked it up so uh mata Afa played three years uh he was redshirted his first year he ended his career with 47 tackles for loss Miles Garrett ended his career with 48 and a half. So as dominant as people remember Miles Garrett being a guy, and I'm not saying he's that guy, but what I'm saying is is there's not a huge difference between the ta- offensive tackles that play at Missouri and Mississippi State and all the powder puffs that Texas A&M played while Garrett was there uh, compared to the Pac-12 offensive tackles. There's just not that big of a difference. So – for them to have very similar production in, you know, basically the same amount of games, it's it's just something to think about when you think, you know, does production really matter? Yeah, it matters. And maybe, you know, we, we'll talk about some later that uh, depend more on athleticism. But it's really important to remember that the great players are dominant in college 90% of the time. And Mata Alpha was mm-hmm. dominant in college. Mm-hmm. And John Robinson likes players who were dominant in college. Yeah, especially if you have one spike year. I, I, for pass rushers, it's uh, historically been one year with eight or more sacks, I think. 
uh, with Aaron Wallace having the low number on that. And I think that Caraway and uh, Dodd both had 10 or more sack seasons in one year. So if you have a spike of production, it seems like that's what he's grading off of. So it's something to note. Um, now I think is really where the three of us are going to maybe start disagreeing. Um, Marcus Davenport, um, a, boo, uh, boo. A, a polarizing player, at least for us. Um, I don't think he's anything special. I mean, I'm looking at my notes and I wrote, he has a potential not to bust, but to be very underwhelming. Like one of those guys, not like he's not going to be Kevin Dodd, but I feel like he's one of those guys you bring in. Like, I feel like his ceiling might be Derek Morgan, and Derek Morgan has never hit 10 sacks before. And, you know, I don't know that Uh Derek Morgan was a bad first-round pick. I mean, he's been here forever. But, I mean, mean, how much is Derek Morgan worth? You know? I mean, someone who's never going to get to 10 sacks. Um, I wrote down that uh, if Derek Barnett was in this year's draft class, who was someone I wasn't very high on, I would have Barnett ahead of Marcus Davenport. Uh, but, Will, I know you kind of like him, so uh, I'm just going to kind of let you two take it away because uh, I- I'm not the biggest fan of Marcus Davenport. I just don't think he's anything special. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll let, I'll leave the optimism for the end. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not a huge fan either, to be honest. Um, and I think if you're drafting him, I mean, you're doing on pure projection. I mean, sure, he was he was – uh, somewhat productive, but he was playing in a very not good conference. Um, and when he played against the bigger teams, I didn't really see him see him do much. Um, even like against Baylor, I, I, I didn't see him have an impact at all. So when he's going north south uh, in in pass rushing, he's very good because he's extremely powerful. Um, and he can bolt rush probably any any tackle there is just because he's so strong. Um, and he can, he can get going pretty quickly. Um, but once he has to figure out what to do if he gets stopped at the point of attack, um, then the play is pretty much over for him. Because I don't see him shed shed blocks very often, uh, especially in pass rush. Um, and it, I don't I don't know. I mean, he ran a really good um, a really good forty time. I think he ran like a four five eight at six seven two fifty five, which is which is like ridiculous. Insane. Which- Insane. Yeah, it's like a truck driving at like Lamborghini speeds. It's it's an insane thing. Keep going. Yeah, no, but I don't I don't see that speed on tape when I watch him. Um and I just don't feel like he's that fluid that fluid going uh going laterally. So I don't I don't like him all that much. I, I mean, you're really projecting uh if you're drafting him in the first round. Uh if we did draft him in the first round, I'd probably riot. Um, but I would trust in John Robinson just because he's John Robinson. But I think I, I would much rather have uh, Mataafa than, than Davenport. Yeah. So I started out not being very into Davenport because there was only a few games I could find. And as the offseason went on, I watched more and more like his Baylor game. And I, I, he really grew on me. So there's a couple of things that I really like about him. First of all, like we talked about a second ago, He's huge. He's he's borderline six six, and he runs. So last year, uh, I'll give you some numbers. Solomon Thomas was six two and a half, like like almost six. I mean, you know, we can round up six three and call Davenport six six. So uh, Solomon Thomas ran a four six nine. Uh, 
uh, Davenport ran a four five eight. The three cone, which I've said before, is one of the most, if not the most important uh, pass rusher. You know what you grade off of. Uh, Davenport had a seven two at his size, which is really good, and Solomon Thomas had a six nine five. So that's probably the biggest concern is their bend. But I mean, broad jump similar, despite him being way bigger. I mean, it just. He's a really good athlete, and Solomon Thomas, one of his big qualities was he was such a dominant athlete. Uh, one thing I really like about Davenport that doesn't get talked, to, talked enough is uh, his progression. So let's go in terms of sacks. His first year he had three. Second year he had four. Fourth year he had six and a half. Uh, last year he had eight and a half. So it's, it's good. It's pretty good production. It, but the same thing happened with tackles for loss. He went from three to seven and a half, to 10, to 17 and a half. So you've got a pattern that says he can slowly develop and get better as his career goes on and that he can adapt to different circumstances and good players and all that kind of stuff. What A lot of forced fumbles, too. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, six, which is great. You know, it, it's I didn't want to bring it up because we just talked about a guy who got 10 and six didn't no, I know. But, but six is still really good for your career, and he had three last year, and he had four pass deflections. So, I mean, he's he's affecting the ball. But um, something that really kind of makes me think this translates to the NFL is at the Senior Bowl, you don't want to put too much stock in practices, but if it reflects something that you've seen on tape and you've seen throughout a guy's career, it's okay to kind of extrapolate that. And as the Senior Bowl practices went on, first day he was bad because his pad level was high. Second day he was mm-hmm. better. I think the I think there was three practices he, that they practiced in, and the third practice he was getting good reviews from everybody because he was listening to coaching. And in the game, which doesn't really matter, but in the game he had two sacks and was really good. So if you can get him to play a little bit lower, which is always hard for guys who are six six, but if you can just develop that a little bit, he's got all the athleticism to be a dominant guy in the NFL. And uh, Jim Coburn, who is you know a friend of the podcast, we love him. Um, I keep up with his stuff a lot, and he said that athletically and production-wise, the best comp for uh, Davenport is actually Jason Pierre-Paul, which, huh. as soon as he said it, makes a ton of sense to me because they do kind of play in a similar way. Um, Pierre-Paul had to develop that counter move as he got older and into his second year with the Giants, but that I mean. If that's if you can give me Jason Pierre-Paul's career, which it's not a guarantee, but athletically, production-wise, you know, with how his frame is built, if you can say I can give you ninety percent of what Jason Pierre-Paul was, you absolutely take that guy at twenty-five in the draft. Probably so. Yeah, I mean, I, didn't I, Jason have like eighteen sacks one year? I mean, maybe. like Pierre-Paul, yeah. He was crazy. Yeah, at USF is is a pretty big thing. Um, so next up on my list, uh, Marcus Davenport is not in my top five. Uh, rounding out my top five, actually, I don't know. We're rounding gonna, out your top, we're just gonna talk. <laughs> we're just gonna move on, and we're gonna talk about Lorenzo Carter, who is one of my favorite players in the entire draft class. He is becoming for me what Evan Ingram was last year. Just a player that I love probably a little too much. Um, just because 
He's so fast. He can scream off the edge. And more so than probably any other of the players we've talked about or are going to talk about, there's a lot you can do with him. You can play him at inside linebacker if you want to. You can play him at edge rusher. He can have his hand in the dirt. He can be standing up. You know, there's so many different things you can do with him. And when it comes down to it, I think a guy like that has more value than a Derek Morgan does, where they're going to get you, you know, nine, ten sacks at, at very most and probably not, you know, you know what I'm saying. I just think he has really high upside. I think he's a fun player, and I think whoever gets him is going to be very happy. Yeah. Interesting that you that you mentioned that point because in my notes I actually have that he can play multiple positions because I've seen him play multiple positions, and I think he translates very well to the next level. Like you said, I think he could play inside linebacker easily um, in certain sets. I mean, um, in college he played. The thing about him is Hassan Reddick got so much buzz last year because he was fast, why isn't Lorenzo Corder getting that same buzz? Is there that much separation well, in the two? There's separation in terms of production because Lorenzo Carter didn't exactly have crazy stats, but a lot of that is because he was splitting time on a truly stacked defense at Georgia um, for the past three years. Um, so that makes sense, but even when he was in there, he was always making an impact. Um yeah, so like like you said, I think he's very versatile. He, he's one of the most athletic players in this entire draft. I mean, he ran a 4-5 flat at 6'6", 250, or something around that, um, which is just insane. 130-inch broad jump, 36-inch vertical jump. I mean, that is a that is absolutely an NFL type of athlete um, and a top-tier kind of athlete. Um, and when you watch him on tape, he's, all, he's usually making plays. He's really quick to the ball. Um, and when, particularly when he's standing up on the edge, uh, it looks like he's shot out of a cannon. Uh, most of the time, just just comes um, just comes like a missile missile off the edge, uh, getting that quarterbacks and uh, he can, he can force some fumbles whenever uh, whenever he gets in there. He's also a really good run defender, um, which is important at the next level, especially if you're playing uh, playing out on the edge or if they're playing you uh, inside as well. So I really like him. Uh, and I'm glad we're talking about him because I do like him. Um, and a lot of the edges that we're, that we're probably going to talk about right now, I don't like. Um, I think he's, pro- he's probably my number four edge right now um, behind uh, Chubb, Landry, and Mataafa. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be content with him at 25 despite, the, despite the somewhat of a risk um, in terms of his production in college. Yeah, it's... The production is kind of my big concern. I like Carter a lot. Like, if you told me we were going to go back to the old Washburn system and run a wide nine and we were going to put Casey in the middle and Daquan Jones and just let them sort mm-hmm. it out, you know, I, I, I could see it working. I mean, there's there's a lot you can do with him if you just say you're going to rush upfield at the, pat, at the quarterback and then every now and then we're going to drop you off because you're really athletic and just bring an overload blitz from the other side. You know, you can move him around. I, I mean – He's probably big enough to play some nickel defensive tackle if you want to get one of those NASCAR packages in. He can probably play off the ball. You can probably move him around and put him, you know, those weird amoeba defenses that we used to run with where Jarrell Casey would stand up and walk around and do that stupid stuff. He could probably do that (laughs) effectively because he's a linebacker and not a defensive tackle. Um, You can play him a lot of places. I guess the problem, if I had to pick a problem, which I don't, I mean, I don't think he's a first-round guy. I mean, I mean, not 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 that he's not, but I mean, when I think of first-round guys, I think of a guy who 
I believe that this guy is going to make a constant impact. And the reason why I'm a little bit hesitant with that is because the player he reminds me of most is Deion Jordan uh, when he was with Oregon. And I love mm-hmm. Deion. He was a star. But for whatever reason, when Miami got him, they had trouble finding out where they wanted to put him. I remember they played him at different positions in training camp and were trying to figure out. And at the time, I thought, okay, he's going to be the ultimate chess piece. But if a guy is that big and that athletic and doesn't have anything – I mean, his best season was five sacks, talking about Carter now. Mm-hmm. You know, to not have kind of a carved-out role where you almost move a defense around you, being that big and that athletic and being a four-year player, it kind of makes me nervous. Um, I don't I don't have any aversion to him specifically for the Titans because I think the Titans just need somebody who's a pass rusher right now and who can develop into an every-down guy. But, I, I mean – I wouldn't take him if I had nobody starting at defensive end, you know. And I, I don't know. It, it's it's really weird because he's so intriguing with his athleticism. He's got a huge wingspan. I mean, when especially when people don't pick him up right off the line, if they let him build up a little bit of steam before the offensive tackle initiates contact, I mean, he can just devastate him because he can get upfield so quickly and offensive tackles get out of position. But at the same time. In my head, I keep thinking, if he can do that now, why doesn't he ever have more than five sacks a year? I mean, we were, we were talking about Mata office production and how he has 22.5 tackles for loss this year. Uh, Lorenzo Carter has 20.5 for his entire career, and he's played mm-hmm. 54 games, which is about twice as many as Mata Alpha has. So that, that is a big concern to me. Like I said, production really matters to me, and that's why I don't have him in the first round. But like I said, for the Titans – Maybe they move back from 25. Maybe they pick up some extra picks. I mean, I don't hate him. I just am concerned. Yeah, so I feel like a bit of a hypocrite right now because I said I don't like Davenport because he's a projection. Uh, And Lorenzo Carter is probably just as much of a projection. Um, But but I think the thing that I just see differently in them – I just think Carter's Carter translates better to the NFL, and I think he's he's more versatile at least. Um, and I feel like he actually has a plan when he's out there. Uh, I don't see that with Davenport all that often. So that's that's probably the main uh, main difference between uh, between the two in my eyes. Well, I think a lot of that is because uh, Carter kind of had to have that because he played against some of the best right. offensive linemen because he played in the SEC. There's a lot mm-hmm. of guys that Davenport went against that if he got pissed off. You know, after his junior year, he could just t- turn whatever he was doing into a bull rush, and there was a good chance mm-hmm. that that offensive lineman couldn't stop him because I mean, he's really strong. And being six six, if you don't get your hands on him quick, and if you don't stay underneath him, if you're an offensive tackle that has one bad snap, he's going to drive you back. So, for as much talk as there is about him standing straight up, if you are an offensive tackle and you stand straight up, he's going to kill you. So, mm-hmm. Davenport never really had to develop that much in his game and I kind of credit him with that with saying he never had to but he's got all the tools to do it instead of saying I've never seen him do it it's kind of that whole creativity you know Mata Afa thing where I've seen that he has the traits to do something even though I haven't necessarily seen it on film but you're Mm -hmm. right to not like Lorenzo Carter uh, and to like Davenport or vice versa it really doesn't make a ton of sense just in terms of they're both kind of the same guy, except one's been a little bit more productive 
against bad competition, and one's been less productive but played against better competition. So, I think uh-huh. Lorenzo Carter's a better athlete than Marcus Davenport. Yeah, which yeah, maybe it looks like it on film at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would say who, that, who, who had the better three cone? Will you you always preach the three cone as being very important? Uh, look that up. I don't think Carter did a three count. No, Carter didn't run it. Um, he had he had an insane broad jump. He had he had almost eleven feet, which is nuts. Yeah, hundred thirty. Um, I mean, am I insane to mention him in the same conversation as Jadavian Clowney? In terms uh, of athlete or football player? I mean, athlete, I guess. I mean, his his profile is pretty similar. No. Yeah, they are pretty similar. I would say so. Yeah, I mean, the, the difference is is that. Genevieve Clowney played base 4-3 defensive end his entire career. <laughs> like, yeah. you, I mean, you knew exactly what Genevieve Clowney was going to co- come in and play in the NFL. Like, the Texans wanted to run him at stand-up backer, which was stupid, and that's why he wasn't productive. You know, they've kind of, I mean, Vrabel came in and said, look, you know, I'll play him at backer, but this is how you've got to play him. And once Vrabel fixed him, he's been good, which is upsetting. He's not, he's not the next coming of J.J. Watt like everybody wants him to be. But he is pretty good against and you know he, he's good. I don't I don't want to praise the Texans too much, but I mean he's been okay. But you need to have a plan with players. Like it, it's great to have a guy like Jamie Collins on your team, and maybe Lorenzo Carter can be that kind of guy. You know, maybe he can be. I'm going to play some you know four three outside linebacker for like four snaps, and then for ten snaps I'm going to play pass rusher, and, and maybe he can do that. But it's it's always a little bit of a concern, and that's why guys like Jamie Collins get pushed down to the draft. Hmm. Uh, but I, I like Carter, though. I think he's going to uh, – I, I just like him. I like fast players. And that's what the Titans need on defense is they need speed, right? Yeah, I'll tell you what. If you like a fast player, you should check out this guy named Marcus Davenport. He's really <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i don't know if you know him but he's pretty great i don't know i'm just not buying in agree to disagree yeah that, that's what it's gonna have to be um moving on to um you know you hear about tragedies all the time in the news and everything and our next player is a tragedy it's arden key um <laughs> It's just, yeah, I mean, you, you looked at him before, even before the combine, and you're like, you know, despite all of the strange off-the-field problems, you know, he's still probably a first-round draft pick. And then he laid an egg at his pro day, ran like a four eight five in the 40-yard dash. I mean, it's just tragic. I mean, his fall has been meteoric, I mean, since where we once thought he was going to go. And so now, I pose the question: where, where is it worth drafting him at this point? It is. It is a question I can't answer because it's so hard to evaluate. I mean, him. if he's sitting there at the end of day two, I think you have to take a flyer on him. But like, he's not a first round draft pick, and he's probably not a second round draft pick. No, I don't know that you take no, him. No, no, no. That might be too high. I'm not sure you take him any of the top three rounds, to be honest with you. Yeah. There, I mean, there are legitimate character concerns. Um, it, like he, he's dealt with multiple injuries that have 
that that have hurt him uh, over the seasons. Uh, and I mean, his weight has fluctuated so much year to year. Um, so I don't even know how to properly evaluate him because last season he just looked really slow. Um, he didn't really disengage with blockers all that much. Uh, he was getting stood up far too often. Uh, but then you go back to 2016. Um, he he was down in weight. Uh, he was playing fast. He was playing loose. He was athletic. Um, he actually seemed like he, he like he knew what he was doing when he was pass rushing. Um, um, I, I don't think he's all that great of a run defender. But I mean, if you're getting the 2016 guy, um, I think you consider him at the back half of round one and in round two for sure. Um, but if you're getting 2017 Arden Key, I don't even know how you draft him in the in the top three or four rounds um, because he was not good at all. Um, and obviously there are the character concerns to, to add to that. Um, it's really tough. I mean, I, I don't I don't even know what he weighs right now. Um, but in order for him to maximize his potential, I think he needs to be around like 240 or 245 pounds um, for, so he can play fast and and, um, and just play um, play loose. But I don't I don't know. I really don't know where I would take him. I, I don't like him right now. Yeah. I mean, he... Okay. I don't know what his weight was. What is? I don't know what his weight was at his pro day, but it was something like 435, 440 or something like that. I don't think he did any drill. I mean, he did some drills, but he didn't do the 40-yard dash. He did the three-cone, and it was it was all right. It was sub-7-2, which is really kind of the, the marker for a guy about that size. He's almost 6'5", so it's like, okay... That's good. Then he goes to his pro day, and I think they said he ran a four eight, like a four eight five yeah. or something. I mean, that's slow, and that's slow at like the combine if you're sick, not at you know when you're all revved up at your pro day. Like, so you can probably add a tenth of a second on that. So you're talking about a guy who was two thirty five, two forty, and ran almost a five second forty yard dash, like that's baffling to me. And that's not the guy you see on film like back in 2016. So I don't know what happened in, in his life from 2016 to 2017. I mean, I guess, I mean, maybe uh, Les Miles had some sort of, you know, way of getting to him and really motivating him and doing that. Maybe you can attribute it to that because Miles has had great success with defensive players before. So, Maybe that's what it was, but man, I, I mean, I, I I truly don't know. I, I mean, he was not the same guy. He reportedly left the program. He hurt his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he stayed injured. He had a knee injury. He's, you know, he's been suspended before by the team. It's just, it's it's a lot of red flags, and John Robinson doesn't necessarily need boy scouts but so far if he's going to take you on day one or day two you better be pretty pristine off the field or if you're johnny smith who got you know hot water poured on you it's because it was somebody else's fault that you were in the newspaper not your own so yeah i i don't know how they touch him like so there's I mean, I, I don't think the Titans are going to touch him, but just kind of in general, like because someone's yeah. going to draft him. Obviously, he's not going to go yeah, undrafted. Okay, let's say, let's say it's the Ravens because they're they're a team that doesn't care about character. I tell you what, let's say it's the Bengals. <laughs> Bengals. They, I was about Bengals, to say yeah. that's a, that's a better option. They, they like six. They like six foot five guys. They're not worried about your. I mean, they took Marcus Hunt in the second round. 
They're not worried about you know necessarily you being the fastest guy in the world, but they like big, long players. They don't care about off-the-field stuff. If he goes there, I mean, what what do you do with him in year one? Use him as what a designated pass rusher, and you work on his weight. Okay, let's say let's say he does that. And he's really good, and he gets five sacks as a pure pass rusher for you. Okay, well, what are you going to do with him next year? Is he your starter? Is he still going to be a designated pass rusher? Like, hmm. it just it doesn't make the long term plan for him in there because you don't even know if he can commit to an offseason program. I mean, he hasn't shown you that he can do that in the last twelve months. So, I, I just don't know what you do with him. Yeah. Um, I, we're gonna move on now and talk about someone that uh, Matias doesn't like. Uh, which he, he told us before we started that he doesn't like any of the uh, the edge rushers, which may have been an exaggeration. But uh, he, he's a bad stuff. I don't like half of them. S- Sam Hubbard from Ohio State. This one. Will oh get, God. <laughs> this one probably gets, probably gets more booze than even Marcus Davenport did. Um, no, I was reading about him and I kind of like his potential. Um. You know, he's not a gimmick in that, you know, even Arden Key, like, did a lot of things really well and had a good athletic profile. And we talk about Harold Landry's fast and Bradley Chubb is solid. You know, Sam Hubbard, he, he just kind of, he is what he is. Um, Bad. <laughs> where, do you, where do you draft who he is? I don't know. He's what he is, but who wants what he is? I mean, I'll just let you guys take over. I think he's solid. I think he's... Uh, Probably a second round talent, but not not at twenty five. No, I don't think he's anywhere near second round talent. It's it, it, I I feel like I'm Skip Bayless and like I hate everyone, but it, it's really not it. I, like I'm watching these players, and I just I just don't see like an NFL impact player, uh, especially with Hubbard. I mean, what what are his what are his pros? I mean, he's kind of versatile because he can play on the line or he can play standing up. Um, I mean, he had a great three cone drill time at the combine. That's great, which is usually a good, a good barometer for future success for edges. Um, and I mean, I guess if he gets like one on one with a blocker, sometimes in the run game, he can shed that block uh, and make a play. But I feel like he has so little feel for actual pass rushing. It seems like he's just running at tackles most of the time. Uh, he doesn't have great awareness. Um, not, I mean, he was he was okay in production but i mean when you're playing on on when your bookend is joey bosa and then nick bosa you should have more than 17 sacks in your entire ohio state career so and another thing that concerns me a little bit um he's oversized for an edge in my opinion he's 6'5 270 um and at his pro day he ran a 495 yeah that's gross that's 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 disgusting yeah (laughs) like how do you draft that guy in the first three rounds, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, he's got. I mean, he's got to be a defensive tackle. Like, it just, I mean, I, I don't. I don't. Or four three de. Four three de maybe. Or three four de. Like maybe that's how you use it. But he's not really strong with his hands. Like, no, I know. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything well. And I don't mean that in that like he does a lot of things okay, but he just doesn't stand out in one area. I don't ever see him make a play when he's touched. When he's blocked, mm-hmm. he's like. There's these there's this play that people show where he tackles Saquon Barkley and uh, the quarterback at the same time uh, because he comes unblocked and because uh, 
the offensive line protection is going the wrong way. So he, the quarterback is trying to read the defensive end on the other side, but the offensive line ran it the wrong way, I think. Either that or the quarterback's looking in the wrong spot or just not making a decision. And so he doesn't know where to, whether to pull it or not. So he, he and Barkley are both just kind of standing there, and it just happens that Hubbard is playing that particular snap, and he runs out and he makes a tackle. And I, I tried to tell somebody that's not why he's good – because he comes unblocked. I'm like, everybody in the NFL can make that play, whether you hate him. I mean, Kevin Dodd can make that play every time. Like, it just it's it's just an easy play to make. And they're like, yeah, but it's strong. He's strong that he tackled both of them. Wait, what? I'm like, Kevin Dodd can make that play every – what? Every time. Like, it just <laughs> – like, if, if you would have told Hot me – take. If you would have told me that uh, – Hubbard would have run a seven-five-three cone. I would have said that's exactly what it looks like on film. You never see him bend. His hand move. His hand uh, technique isn't good. I mean, he is just not very good. I mean, honestly, uh, based off what we've seen in college and the NFL, I would probably rather play Kevin Dodd than Sam Hubbard. Wow. Wow. I'm not sure about that one. But. <laughs> Here's my thing. What have you seen Sam Hubbard do that's I mean, that's, better? That's like saying I want. I would rather have Jamarcus Russell than Josh Allen. Like, no one. Yeah, we, you, we don't you, like Josh Allen, Allen but crazy. at least we know that Jamarcus Russell is a bust. We don't necessarily know that Josh Allen's going to be a bust. I mean, I guess. No. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I, guess, <laughs> I guess you're saying, like, there's a chance that he might suck slightly less. But I don't know, man. Like, Kevin Dodd got a sack his rookie year. Like, I'm not Against sure. Against Taylor Hubbard Decker, did. right? Yeah, like, and it was a good sack. Like, I, I can tell you that maybe there's a chance that Dodd's injury, like, actually hurt him. Like, and he was going to be at least a decent backup. And but, he was playing out of position the whole time. What do you, what do you mean? Well, he's not a 3-4 outside linebacker, yeah, Kevin yeah. Dodd. But he was playing in that Morgan spot where he was. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Um, the thing is, is like, I, I don't know where Hubbard's going to win in the NFL. Like if you want to use, so people talk about, and honestly, it's cause he's big and white. They're like, he's really good in his run fits, but he's really not <laughs> like, he's really not good. In his run fits. Like Harold Landry in 2016 was way better in his run fits and playing technically sound than anybody gives him credit for. And just because it's hard to move Hubbard cause he's kind of long and like, has a weird center of gravity and all that. People are like, he's really good. Not, I mean, not really. Like, he really <laughs> is not. And the good thing is that if John Robinson wants one dominant season of production, and if Mike Vrabel is not just standing on the table for him, which I don't think Vrabel will do, um, then there's there's no reason for the Titans to draft him. They they're not necessarily concerned with overly athletic guys uh, at on the edge like it's not what they've drafted in not what they drafted in Wallace not what they drafted in uh, Dodd not what they drafted in Caraway so it it seems like athleticism is not necessarily the marker they look for it's production and while 90% of Hubbard's athleticism is garbage i i mean i guess there was a broken stopwatch or something they got him at a 684 i mean he had the best three cone which I mean, it makes me almost not want to touch the three-cone anymore. But, like, he had the best three-cone of the combine, and maybe he can be that guy. Maybe he's just being used out of position or some nonsense like that, like people say with uh, Josh Sweat. But 
I, I don't know. So, uh, the good news is he had, uh, according to P PFF, 48 total QB pressures over his career, but I don't know in what games they came from because I didn't see one when I watched it. <laughs> yeah, like, QB pressures is great. Like, you remember that time they had uh, a rat Poe for, like, 12 quarterback pressures versus Russell Wilson, but he had zero sacks? Right, yeah. That was, and like, okay, that game – Getting to watch Russell Wilson in person was like a blessing. Like that dude, when you talk about how like elusive and quick he is, he is the real deal. Yeah. Like that was nuts. I've never seen anything like that before. But the the thing is, is like quarterback pressures could almost just be listed as like quarterback misses, where your guy just yeah. fails. Yeah. So yeah. the same thing with quarterback hits. Like I don't care if my guy gets twelve quarterback hits a year if they're all sacks. I'd rather that than have 40 quarterback pressures and only get four sacks. There's like sacks is the only stat that matters when you're rushing the passer. So all that other stuff, it, because how do you know when a guy's pressured? Does he speed up his release? Because Marcus does that anytime there's a guy who's going to have a free rush on him, but it doesn't necessarily mean, he, mean he's pressured. It just means it's time to get the ball out to his hot route. So mm -hmm. it, it pressured is such a weird kind of, if, if you can't really get a hold of it. It's it's a it's a stat that is perception based and not based off any like real like okay that guy's on the ground that's a tackle. It's sort of like tackles are measured in the NFL versus solo tackles, where it's like if Avery Williamson touches a guy after he's been down on the ground, he gets credited with a tackle. It, it's it's just a weird stat that I don't put any faith in. And I know I know you were joking. But it does kind of ruffle my feathers to hear that stat, so I did have to go on that rant. <laughs> um, last player that we're going to talk about before we head out of here, um, Josh Sweat. I haven't looked at him. I don't know anything about him other than the fact that all these people on, on Twitter are pushing him for the Titans at 25. Yeah. Judging, so. judging by the fact that I had like never heard of him before he was brought up, I'm I'm gonna guess that he's probably not a good option at pick twenty five. Uh, yeah, it's gonna seem like I hate everyone. I really don't, but I I, I would hate if we took this guy at twenty five. What what does he do well? Uh, the, there's one of the things he does well. Um, he he's okay at using his hands. Sometimes when he's pass rushing, um, he like n knock tackles off balance and, and kind of get uh, get to the quarterback a little quicker. Um, and he's extremely athletic. I mean, one of the, one of the best athletes in this draft. Four, five, three, forty-yard dash, nearly a 40, 40 inch vertical jump, um, hundred twenty-four inch broad jump. So extremely athletic. But that athleticism doesn't translate onto the field. I mean, he's pretty slow off the line. He's not quick at changing directions when he's out in space. Um, he gets pushed to the ground way too often. Um, and he wasn't productive at all. He had a 14 and a half sacks in three years and one forced fumble. I mean, if you're picking this guy at 25, what do you, it, it's a complete projection and yeah. you're completely entrusting in Mike Brabel and Dean Pease to just get the best out of him, which, which maybe it'll work out, but it, it's a huge risk, um, with your first round pick. Yeah. Um, I just don't know what you. Okay, so obviously we, we we've talked about six guys. They're not all going to go in the first round. There's there's no way. I mean, we've talked about six minus Arden Key, seven with him, yeah. and the six people these, ahead of him are not all right. going to go in the first round. Yeah, the, these right. you know these two shouldn't. Hubbard and Sweat shouldn't. 
Um, mm-hmm. But but Sweat is the perfect guy to go in the first round because, it, I mean, you'll hear it all the time. Coaches always think they're better coaches than everybody else. So if Bill Belichick sees him and says, I, and Bill Belichick may be right, but he's probably the only one. But if he sees him and says, I think that guy can be the best pass rusher in the NFL because he is amazingly athletic and was used out of position. He's going to think, I'm a better coach than Florida State's coach. I'm smarter than him, so I'll be able to use him better. So even though he was never productive and didn't really pop on tape, it'll be different with me. And 32 teams have head coaches that think like that. Mike Frabel thinks like that. Everybody thinks like that. because It takes that level of arrogance to be a head coach in the NFL. It just does. So you've got that, and the big, I guess, uh, definitive thing is which general manager is going to make is going to cave into their head coach. I think Robinson let uh, the coaching staff make a couple of his picks, or at least let them have heavy influences based on kind of what he's done in the past. Um, but I don't think any of them were first round picks. I think all the first round picks have been him. Um, I think he kind of lets them have a second round pick that they think really fits their scheme or a third-round pick, depending on kind of who it is. I think that's why we have John U. Smith, which I like John U. Smith. I think, just think it's why he's there. And the same reason it's why I think we got Kevin Dodd is because uh, I think that's just who Dick LeBeau wanted, and I think he carried a lot of weight with the organization. So which GM is going to give in and say, well, maybe my head coach is good enough and he is a really good athlete? Because you're not watching the film to say this. It, you can watch the film and say – as a four eye, which is what he played, he's really good at getting upfield. Even though he's the last guy off the ball, he's very slow off the snap. Um, he's got a good bot. He's got a good frame, and once he gets underneath the pads of an offensive tackle, he can kind of drive him back. Even though he might not make the play. Okay, that's that's what he is. So, how much do you value that guy? Probably. You know, a late third, early fourth is probably where that guy goes. Now, if you use creativity with him, which you won't use with Mata Afa because he didn't blow up the combine, but if you say, but if I just move him two gaps, well, I mean, not really gaps, a gap over and move him into a five technique or let him play nine versus tight ends, then all of a sudden he's rushing against the outside shoulder. Well, now it's a different game. He's so athletic, it'll be you know he'll be able to get ten sacks, and I mean it's just he's going to be the best guy. Then now you're projecting, and if you want to project, that's fine. Everything we've heard from John Robinson every year is that he doesn't like projects. He likes refined mm-hmm. products that come in with you know production to their name, good character, played a lot of games, and have done a bunch of different things. Corey Davis played in the slot, played outside, played both sides. Went, I mean, he took reverses. He did a little bit of everything. So he's a guy that, you know, on paper you may not think did a lot in college, but he did everything a wide receiver could do. Adoree Jackson, we know, played every position on the football field. Jack Conklin played left tackle and was one of the most dominant left tackles that nobody talked about in a scheme that was perfect for what he was going to walk into at a time where it was – you know, Jeremiah Patasi or Byron Bell at right tackle if we didn't add somebody. So John Robinson does not like to take guys that 
okay, I know he's never shown me that he can do anything, but we're still going to take him in the first round. So it would just be an insane pick to me, and it doesn't make any sense, and it would be a complete Mike Vrabel pick if he picked it. Yeah. Um, so let's close out like we did last week, uh, and let's assume for this case that uh, that both Landry and uh, Chubb are off the board. You're picking an edge rusher at 25. Who do you pick? I've got to go Lorenzo Carter as much as I like Hercules Mata'afa. I'd go Mata'afa or Carter. Either one's fine. But probably Mata'afa. Yeah, I mean, i I go Mata'afa. Because I know, worst case scenario, I've got somebody who I can play as a nickel defensive tackle and who will get really good production, but somebody who I think can be a really good edge rusher. But we're going to get Mata'afa in, like, the third round, so... That's yeah, and we're going to take Davenport <laughs> first round. So, would, would be awesome, by the way. Um, if we Davenport and Mata off, that'd be amazing. That would set them up for a long time to come, probably. Um, yeah. So, reminder before we exit, uh, next, or excuse me, not next Tuesday, Tuesday, the 24th of April, live full first round mock draft, 7 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. You, you'll be able to find a link to that on the Titan Says Twitter. Um, until then, for Matias Wagner, Will Lomas, I'm Luke Gorsham. Thank you for listening to the Tight Size Podcast. We will talk to everybody next week with Jim Coburn. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.